Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, your weekly podcast where we take a deep dive examining knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insights to help you to lead, manage, and coach in football, sports, and life. Leader Manager Coach is presented by Rob Riles. Rob is a qualified coach with a League Managers Association qualification and a science and medicine background. He has worked in the football industry in Europe, USA, and Africa at international, premiership, league, non-league, and grassroots levels with World Cup and European Championship experience. Hello and welcome to another edition, another programme of Leader Manager Coach Rob Riles here with another programme. And we're still in the, I'm not sure if this is the case when you're hearing this, but as I'm recording this, we're still very much in the middle of the 2018 World Cup and um, anybody who's interested in the beautiful game will be... Uh, Enjoying the the amount of amazing footage and the amount of amazing coverage that we're getting on on the game at the moment. So um, enjoy and fill your boots. Now, what I wanted to do today was to talk about a a book, a book that I read not too long ago. Because what I want to do on this podcast is I want to share with you some things that. I think that are worth sharing and can add value to your coaching, to your life, to your relationships and to your success. And, you know, it's a big challenge, isn't it, for all of us to to fit in everything that we'd like to do. You know, we're not going to be able to read all the books we, we want to read. We're not going to be able to listen to every single interview. Um, we can do our best. We can get as much in as we possibly can and we can be a great reader and um, have an, an enormous appetite for information but the the brutal fact is that we won't have enough time so hopefully in this podcast I'm going to be able to share with you things that um, I've learned and maybe if you want to go and take a deep dive into them you can if you don't you just like the principles and then you can hopefully just put them into your practice and um, you'll get some value out of it so today I want to talk about a book called Training Soccer Champions and the guy who wrote the book uh, was a guy is is a guy called Anson Dorrance, A N S O N Anson Dorrance D O R R A N C E. Now, Anson Dorrance was somebody that uh, I hadn't really heard of um, before a couple of years ago, and he came into my consciousness, if you like, when somebody recommended this book, and. Um, since then, as, as happens, you kind of see him all over the place. But um, Anson Dorrance is a quoted as the all-time winningest coach in NCAA soccer. Um, apparently, he's won with his teams 22 national championships in the United States of America, which is a phenomenal thing to achieve on its own. He's also won a World Cup um, which he won in 1991 with his United States women's national team. Um, I believe he's in his 60s and he continues to be a voracious reader and a voracious learner. And um, that's what's quoted as putting Anson Dorrance or one of the factors that's quoted as putting Anson Dorrance at the top of his game. So he is somebody who's well worth learning from and has got an awful lot an awful lot to share. He's 
Um, greatly quoted in Josh Fager's wonderful new book, Insights and Wisdom from the Game's Greatest Coaches. Um, and I'd like to thank Josh for that. I believe Josh um, has done a podcast for a long time and um, has got some great interviews. So um, thank you for that, Josh. But I want to focus today on, on one of the guys who's um, in Josh's book called Anson Dorrance, who's came out with a book called Training Soccer Champions. So that's Anson. So what has he got to got to teach us? Well, I've divided it up into four main compartments or four main areas. Okay, and the first one we're going to talk about is team organisation. And um, I'm going to divide this into two, and I'll give you a little summary at the end so it's not too confusing. But obviously, you can go and take a deep dive into the book if you wish to. It's Training Soccer Champions by Anson Dorrance. And one of the key things that, that Anson talks about is simplicity. He underlines the fact that soccer is a simple game and can be overcomplicated. He talks about very much about creating and developing leaders. So he's got that philosophy. He's got the John Wooden philosophy. He's got the, really the philosophy of all great leaders that it's not about the leader himself. You know, there's that amazing quote, which I must look up again and I must go and find where it where it's from. Because it, 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 if it's not my favorite quote about leadership, it's, it, it's up there. And it talks about the levels of leadership where the greatest leaders are the ones who create the success and disappear. And he talks about developing leaders. And he talk, he references um, another book, um, and, and this is a book that I've, I've checked out, I've not read it all the way through, I, I will admit, um, called Great, Greater Expectations by Will Damon, D-A-M-O-N, um, which talks about the, the education system and how, how really we can improve the education system to create um, more more able more able young adults in the world and um, Anson Dorrance in his in his leadership of his teams is is looking all the time at developing leaders with his methodologies so he talks about simplicity he talks about developing leaders and he talks about high standards and I'm going to come back to high standards in a minute but he he nails the fact that having high standards in your life not just when the players are at practice because as we all know and a lot of people will say this is how you do something is is how you do everything so very difficult to be excellent or tidy or proficient efficient in one area of your life and be totally lackadaisical and inefficient in others it doesn't often happen so he talks about high standards and he is real key on that particularly with the with the focus on on personal fitness and well-being which I'll come on to in a minute he also in terms of team organization wants his players to learn the game so he doesn't want followers who just stand and wait for the coach to say a b and c he actively encourages with links to the developing leaders facet he wants players to learn the game and he you know he underlines the fact that great coaches help players to learn the game because that will then facilitate their development and their and the development of their leadership in terms of the actual day-to-day 
and the methodologies he uses, one of his great things, if not the greatest thing that he's kind of recognised for is the competitive cauldron. And competition is so deeply ingrained in Anson's work that, and I think that the, 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 the phrase competitive cauldron can be pretty much um, a reminder or can be, you know, a, ca- a characteristic or a trademark, if you like, of Anson. That he talks about the competitive cauldron and how competition, healthy competition in in the culture of the team, in the culture of the environment, in the training sessions, along with training on the edge, so that you're training at your maximum. You know, in that in that sweet spot, in that zone where you're stretching yourself that four or five percent to try and get that little bit better without trying to overreach yourself and getting stressed. And he talks about the intensity of, of competition. So making sure as a coach that the training sessions are intense so that players get stressed to that perfect amount, just enough to make them grow. Within that, he talks about making sure that the, the speed of play is sufficient so it represents and it duplicates what will happen in a game. So the tempo is high enough and the decision-making processes are applicable to the game. Because as we all know, if your training sessions are of a lower tempo, consistently, you know, they can't be always exactly the same tempo. There will be high-intensity sessions and there will be low-intensity sessions. And that doesn't seem to be represented so greatly in Anson's work. Um, There's so much emphasis on high-intensity, which is, you know, I'm not saying that's all right. Uh, I'm sure the sports scientists jumping up and down saying that how can that be correct? But um, I think his record speaks for himself, for itself. And obviously, you know, I can only go on what's what's documented in the literature. So he talks about this intensity in the competitive cauldron and representative um, elements of speed of play, decision-making, transitions, and training on the edge. Um so those are the key bright lines, really, for, for team organisation from, uh, from Anson. If we look more specifically at training, he, he talks about his competitive cauldron. And he doesn't want it to be, he, he explains it in a way that he doesn't want it to be a, bo- a, boiling, a boiling vat which completely bubbles over and goes out of control. He talks about fury and composure. So that ability to be in that maximum zone where you're driven to the maximum, you're giving your absolute 100% to achieve a result, but at the same time, you've got that composure and control so that you can not only achieve great results with maximum physical and and mental effort, but at the same time, you will sustain a, a composure that allows you to stay in the game, to stay on the pitch in the moment so that you can be maximally effective now that's not an easy thing to do and I'm absolutely certain as a coach that it takes a real amount of training and education and and time to develop that because we all know we see the youngsters and not so much the youngsters even even adults who who haven't really learned how to deal with their own emotional state getting into that fired up 
desire-driven state is not is not the issue. Um, the issue is controlling your own mind so that you can exert that absolute maximum intensity and you've got a control knob if you like you can turn the intensity up a little bit you can turn it down a little bit and you can keep that fire burning so that you can exert that that influence on the game rather than just be a responder or a reactor and burn out you know perhaps like a cheap firework so I'm, I'm absolutely certain that that's what Anson's talking about he, within his training, as well as having that attitude and that focus of being able to do that, he talks very much about players taking absolute and total responsibility for their own fitness. And I don't know if you agree with this, coaches or managers, and it doesn't have to be necessarily related to fitness, but there are areas of work, areas of life, areas that are almost a given nowadays you know you, you if we do look at professional sport you know you're not going to get players coming into your arena in competitive environments coming back from a break or a holiday or a close season who are drastically overweight or deconditioned because the the maxim today and the expectation today is that you know it's a given that you will be at a certain level of conditioning and, and fitness in order to partake in the level of, of training and, and, and educational processes that will be demanded of you. So I don't. I think the culture has definitely changed and it's taken a long time, particularly in football, where we used to have the um, six, six to eight weeks close season where players would basically shut off switch off not do anything and then come back for pre-season and then have a you know an absolute if I can use the word hellish time in the sun in July trying to get fit in the next six weeks and now I think the culture's changed and the education has taught us that that is not the most successful way it just leads to injury psychological and physical and it's not a successful way to condition so he talks about this lifelong responsibility for looking after your own fitness. And in terms of the actual day-to-day, he references really strongly the basics. And I absolutely love this because I use it all the time. You know, as a physical therapist, been in that industry for over three decades and heard, heard many, 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 many therapists and other professionals talking about this exercise and that exercise and doing this and doing that and plyometrics and and eccentrics and and half sets and this that and the other aerobic anaerobic anything you like all the detail and all the science behind it essentially the 80 20 rule as far as i'm concerned the 80 20 rule says that 80 percent of your efforts will 80 percent of your results will come from 20 percent and if you focus on doing the basics that Anson talks about which I fundamentally agree with like your squats your lunges your dips and and your push-ups or press-ups for your upper body as the core fundamental basics of conditioning and strength you will develop excellent range of movement excellent control through range and the development of your primary muscle groups for sports like soccer 
he's massive on that. He also talks about, which is a little bit contentious really, he talks about doing real hard long runs, 20 minutes, even 30 minutes to actually really push that fitness. Now, in the science of current, the current science of professional football, doing long runs like that without the ball is not something that's now done on a on a wide basis. It's considered to be inefficient. It's considered to be non-representative of the game. And time can be much better spent with the ball, doing more specific things. So th- there's a little bit of, of a contentiousness there in terms of that, but he really, really thinks that that's a fundamental, a fundamental part of his training. Um, he makes no bones about it that he, he, he does sprint sessions without the ball, which again, teams used to do, professional football teams used to do, and nowadays not so much, um, much more ball related. Now, what, who's right and who's wrong? I'm not sure. I think ball related now is, you know, it, it is the way to go because we need to get maximum numbers of touches on the ball. But it's certainly got to, got Anson Dorrance's team to um, great situations using these techniques. The other thing he talks about in the close season, um, he talks about not switching off, talks about not having too much downtime, but just changing the focus. So instead of doing these conditioning uh, specifics, but he talks about playing lots and lots and lots of games in the close season. High intensity ones, yes, 4v4s, 5v5s, 2v2s and using curver techniques using squash courts, racquetball courts, five-a-side courts so you get maximum touches but high intensity aerobic demands, anaerobic demands as well and um, lots and lots of ball control references using tennis balls, different types of balls so that you really, really challenge the, the technical as well, as well as the physical side. So quite a lot of detail there, but um, can be underlined in the principles of the, the key bright lines are the competitive cauldron with fury and, and composure, the personal responsibility of players for fitness, using games in the close season, and um, not being afraid to do or utilise the fundamentals and the basics. You know, your squats, your lunges, your press-ups and your sprint sessions or even your longer runs. You know, you're going to have to decide yourself if you want to implement any of those. The third section that Anson really talks about in detail is player management. And obviously as leader of a, of a women's team, he has a great insight into, you know, the feminine psychology, if you like. So if you're, in a, men's, if you're a leader of a men's team, you know, you're going to have a much greater insight into the, the male psyche. And he, he talks about how, in his opinion, um, men respond better to hierarchical structures and they respond better to strong presence and leadership and in his opinion it's not necessary or as necessary to create rapport with an individual player who's a male but you will get much better greater results according to Anson if you can get respect between yourselves Um, on the other side he talks about his um, 
experiences leading the women's team and he talks about the importance of the network with his team so that his teams which have been the women's teams who've created who've achieved these great successes in the states rely very much on on a network rather than a hierarchy now you know that this is a great social social sociological discussion um and can go very very can go either way and can go far really but um without having the time to dis- to get into that that's what that's his opinion and he talks about his women's teams um responding when he was able to help them experience his humanity so when they they compared to a, uh, a men's team if you like who just needed to know that they respected him as a coach he felt that in his experiences that the women needed or responded much better when they understood him as a human being very interesting stuff but that's his experience so and I'm not sure what your experience is and I'd love to know it and um, you know it, it would be a, a great topic for further discussion he talks about the necessity of really managing the squad. So, you know, the players who are picked, the players who are in the first 11, they are not they don't tend to be your your issue. The 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 human, the relationship challenges as we all know as coaches will be with those people who aren't actually achieving what they want to achieve, who may not be in your first 11. And it's how you're going to deal with those. How you're going to get them on board, how you keep them on board how you get them to continually work hard and be team players. And he talks a great deal about that. Um, he talks, and it is great quote in this, and it's a great quote, it's by George Bernard Shaw. It's a very famous quote, and it starts his chapter of Organising Team Chemistry, where he focuses on the the ethos of setting up a community. And the, the quote is, be a force of fortune, instead of a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I think we've all probably been in that arena where we've had to give ourselves a wake-up call to say, do you know what, it's not all about me. Um, I'm not the centre of the universe, um, and I need to be a little bit mature. I can certainly relate to that. So he talks about developing and constantly returning that to help his players become community-oriented, have a have a focus on the team um not just it's not just about me playing and that is a challenge for all of us and, and um we know that and finally he talks about the fact that there are some players who do not in his opinion have a positive life force so people who cannot embrace that or who do not embrace that on our you know they you have to part company otherwise there will be long-term negative effects In terms of tactics, there are four things that he that stand out in in Anson's in Anson's um, discussion about his 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 major tactical focus. The first one is he loves a front three. He likes numbers in the box. He likes the percentage game, and hence often attempts to play with a front three. With his front six players, so he's, it seems like his favoured organisational setup is four three three. He likes to get his front six to press early, 
So he defends from the front, he gets his front three to press on high, and then he gets his three midfield players to press high too, um, rather than a sitting back game and a, and a counter-attack game. The real big bright line that stands out from his tactical discussion is what he calls framing the goal. So whenever there is an attempt on goal, a shot, he talks about getting a player to attack the left-hand post as you look, a player to attack the right-hand post or the right-hand side of the goal as you look, and a player to attack the centre of the goal or the goalkeeper. So that no matter what happens, if there is a drop, if the ball is rebounded, if there's a ricochet, as far as possible, you are maximising your abilities to actually get the ball over the line. And that's a real big focus for Anson's teams. And the last one he talks about, which I really like, and I think it's just a way of reframing it. It's a, a real good way of painting pictures for your players is he talks about seams, S-E-A-M-S. So he talks about getting his players to find seams between, for example, the goalkeeper and the defender or between the fullback and the centre-half or a seam, which is a line or a penetrative line between two defenders. So he talks about getting players to understand where these seams are. So he says that there will be seams into channels between two defenders, between a fullback and a centre-half. There will be a seam between a, a fullback and a goalkeeper if you get to the byline. So he talks about helping players to understand where these seams will be and getting them quickly into that decision-making process so that they can find those seams almost subconsciously, um, which has obviously worked worked for him. So there we are. That's Anson Dorrance. The book's called Training Soccer Champions. Um, it's a great read. It's got some real, real quality elements in that you can put into your practice. I absolutely, you know, if you ask me which are the, the major ones, I'd say, listen, the competitive cauldron element is absolutely amazing. It really gives you a focus on how intense your training sessions ought to be to get the maximum out of your squad. Um, the other thing that I really, really like is getting players to be responsible for their own fitness. That doesn't mean we don't input it, we don't advise them, but get players to be responsible for their own fitness. The next thing that I really like, I think is a great takeaway, is using the basics. So your push-ups, your press-ups, your squats, your lunges, your dips, absolute magic fundamentals that, that you can use and it's a massive takeaway for me that one and in terms of um, the psychology I love George Bernard Shaw quote you know um, life's not about you or me it's about getting on with it and being a team player and just getting out there and um, doing it for the, for the good of everybody um, rather than just being focused on yourself. So that's a great takeaway. And um, as regards the tactics, well, that's completely up to you, but I like the framing the goal. I think that's a great reminder to all of us coaches in just term, in terms of tactics. How often do we see and we say to ourselves, oh, he should have gambled. And I think when we say he should have gambled means that if we consistently get into a, that mindset of I'm going to attack that far post or I'm going to attack that near post or I'm going to attack the centre of the goal anyway, no matter what, once in every three games, we may get a goal. 
you know, and there's some great players who've who will underline that fact. I think Gary Lineker said it has said it a lot of times. Alan Shearer said it a lot of times. Um, that actually, you know, you just got to gamble and make those runs, and once in every 25 times, the ball will drop for you, and uh, you'll get a goal. So there we go. That's Anson Dorrance, training soccer champions. I hope you got something out of it, and I've really enjoyed sharing it. Don't forget, it's um, share the podcast. It's uh, on Apple, iTunes, on Stitcher, Leader Manager Coach. And um, hopefully we've got some um, some more great information coming up in the next few weeks. We've got some interviews with some people who are in professional sports who've got some great, great information to share. So thanks for sharing your time. I do appreciate it. And um, we'll catch you later. Bye-bye.